0: This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, another tough day as Jessica Berman steps away from the National Crossy to pursue the Commissioner of the NWSL. Sean Evans is the first big name to be traded ahead of Monday's trade deadline. We set you up for week 15 and give you another round of box bets. All that more on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner, and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League action. Matthews, quick stick. What? What? what's good everybody welcome back to another edition of the off the crossbar podcast and boy did we have a crazy news week already that's a wednesday we haven't even gotten to the trade deadline but man do we have a lot to talk about we will get into all of it this week on the show he is pat gregoire you can find him on twitter at p greggy the show is at otcb underscore podcast i am your other host Teddy Jenner at Teddy Jenner on Twitter, and the show is on Instagram at OTCB Podcast. Um, before we get into the madness, um, are you going to become a Denver Broncos fan and join me uh, with our run with Dan Russ Wilson, or what?
1: Absolutely not. Oh, everyone on. knows. Everyone no. Everyone knows I'm a card-carrying member of Bill's Mafia. Man. I'm not. I'm not. I will say though that uh, certainly makes for. More of an entertaining division you've got there. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the move. So, I mean, it, it's a big haul, but surprisingly, I thought there was going to be more first rounders yeah, involved. We
0: only had to give up one.
1: So, I mean, hey, that's a good move. He clearly did not want to be in Seattle. So, um, tough, tough news for, for Seahawks fans, but I think that a new era is about to begin. And, and if uh, we get
0: Seattle. Vaughn Miller to come back
1: now that's now you're now we're talking you might be a problem might be a problem
0: Talking might be a problem um what's going on man how's the week
1: good man i mean like you said like you said a pretty big news week it's been a pretty big news day on wednesday here as Mm. we're recording like the the news that's just dropping on us has been huge it's a short week for me flying out tomorrow to halifax for the game of the week on friday I'm excited for that game, but um yeah, no shortage of of news to talk about. So I won't waste any more time. Let's get yeah, into it.
0: Absolutely. Um the news broke early, early Wednesday morning, uh roughly 8:30 Eastern time. Uh, the news was announced that Jessica Berman, the interim commissioner and EVP of business affairs with the National Cross League would be moving on to the National Women's Soccer League, the Pro Women's Soccer League, uh, and she would become their commissioner. It was off the heels of the Niksikiewicz news, which caught a lot of people off guard, but we kind of were able to smooth over that with figuring the ins and outs of why that move happened. But I think it might be harder, Pat, to figure out the ins and outs of why this move happened. Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, when you look at it as an outsider's perspective, you're wondering, well, like, what's going on here? I mean, it sounded like Jessica was going to throw her ring or her hat into the ring to become the next commissioner. She seemed very committed to the National Lacrosse League. I'm just curious as to maybe if, maybe this did come, come up pretty organically and maybe it did come up quickly. But I know a lot of people are wondering, like, how long was this in the works? We already saw Nick Sikiewicz, um get a new job with the Phoenix Coyotes, the Arizona Coyotes, whatever they're going to be called, the, call the, the, the Arizona State Coyotes. he <laughs> yeah. uh, that's here nor there. He's got his hands filled, but we'll see what happens there. But no, back to Jessica. Um, I think a lot of people are wondering, is this a, was this maybe on the horizon before was it one foot out of the door? But for me, I think, I truly do believe that this maybe came a little bit quicker um, than anticipated. And maybe it was one of those things where she would have loved to finish out the season uh, as the interim, she would have loved to put her hat into that ring and apply for that job and be a part of the, the application process. But, this job might not have been there waiting for her. So I think it was one of those times where she had to jump on it. It's a massive, massive deal for her. It's amazing for women in sports, for everything that she stands for. Um, Her time here in the National Lacrosse League was very short um too short in my opinion she was doing some fantastic things we will miss her uh but she is on to some big big things in the sports world especially in the women's sports world because she is one of the most powerful women in
0: sports yeah and i think i think it was hutton jackson who said on twitter that she was going from the interim job to the job as the commissioner of the national women's soccer league and he said that job she probably would have been in the running for but this Kind of takes all the question marks out of the equation and she just gets to kind of move along to another league where she gets to be in control and you know i don't know if it's you know her wanting to be in charge of a pro women's league that was the lure um if there was other incentives for her but i think this is an excellent opportunity for her to really make an impact and make a difference and like you said she started doing that here with the National Lacrosse League through NLL Unites and especially through the Every Child Matters program. I think this was sort of fast tracked um, once the Nick news came out um, and probably for many of the same reasons budgeting wise looking towards the fiscal year, how was Jesse going to play into that and we haven't really heard from the National Lacrosse League on this, Uh, we don't know when we will hear from the National Lacrosse League on this but it would be safe to say that much like the process was used to find Nick Sikiewicz that they would do their due diligence. They would, mm-hmm. you know, scour the sporting and business world, whether it be North America or worldwide. Obviously we have a lot more influence when now than when Nick came in with, you know, the Pagulas and Cronky Sports and Joe Tai and, and everything, you know, all the new owners that are in the National Crossing, what outreach do they have? So, this will be a very big decision and you know when nick left you know we thought okay if it's jessica's it's jessica's but whoever they bring in it's going to be a big decision well now there's really nobody there and other than you know the board of governors and they are going to be tasked with making this big decision and it is going to be crucial with everywhere the league has gone since COVID onto national television on both sides of the border into vegas into panther city we are moving towards a very big stage for the national crossing. So I think this is a very important hire and and we're going to respect the NL's wishes to kind of let them do their, their thing. And we'll just all have to wait and see, because it is going to be a very interesting decision process. And I thoroughly look forward to seeing how it all plays out, but um, you know, Matt Hutchings uh, he's the COO, of cronkey sports and the evp was quoted in the nwsl really saying we want to thank jessica for the exemplary work and the leadership she's provided us during her tenure with the nll while we are disappointed to see her leave we know she will always be a friend and supporter of our league and the support we look forward to seeing her progress personally and professionally for years to come and wish her the best of luck so there's a statement from the national cross league um, wishing her the best of luck but again nothing you know about their plan or what they just, they're going to do and hopefully we'll hear about that soon because it, it leaves everybody just kind of with this unknown feeling
1: yeah and i think a big thing that people are maybe thinking is what goes on with the cba negotiations because that was one thing that i think we were ensured when everyone was kind of worried like oh my god like nick is leaving what does that mean to the cba well you know jessica came in and so you came on this show and said yeah. you know that's going to be a big part of it and i know she's staying on for for five more weeks but who's to say that they're even gonna get a deal done in those five yeah, weeks? I wouldn't we know expect how, that i yeah. wouldn't expect that while the season's going on at all so that obviously is a major concern the board of governors will have their hands full not only trying to figure out who is going to be the next boss who's going to be the next deputy commissioner and fill Jessica's role mm-hmm. because that's another role that they have to yeah, fill yeah. but they also have to get a deal done so obviously a lot a lot of things that need to get done here the board of governors i don't i think they knew some of this obviously was going to happen mm-hmm. um, so they're, I think they've come prepared. Um, so yes, as for the outsiders looking in, they probably, people are probably thinking like, Oh, the, the BOG must be scrambling right now, but I think they kind of have a little bit of a better idea than we probably think they do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other big news that dropped on Wednesday was maybe just as surprising. Sean Evans flipped to the Halifax Thunderbirds for a conditional first and a second round pick Um, you are deeply involved with that organization Um, even you didn't know that this deal was coming you had an inkling of something happening but not the full details when you found out what was your first thought
1: wow it was simply wow Um, a move that I didn't expect and you know, talking to some people involved with that organization, I definitely didn't have the sense of, you know, they were going to be big buyers at the deadline. And I didn't think that with that being said, I didn't think that they were going to be okay with going with what roster they had. If, if something came about, I think they were open to conversations, but they weren't willing to sell the farm for a rental piece. They got the rental piece. And from what it sounds like, it wasn't like they were knocking on the door of Dan Carey saying, what do we need to do to get Sean Evans? It sounds like from even hearing the quote, not even the conversations that I had prior, uh, you know, Kurt Cyrus basically said, whenever you get an opportunity to bring in a player of this caliber, it's a no brainer, especially the fact that, you know, they, they got it for a pretty good return with all that being said, I mean, this is an offense that's really starting to find their groove. This this is a group that's starting to share the ball, uh, you know, east and west. This is a righty group that pretty much has been consistent all season long. And now you throw a guy in the lineup who likes to have the ball on the stick, who likes to drive to the net, who likes to create on a righty unit that is all predicated on, you know, moving their feet, cycling through, um, being dynamic. It's an interesting move, but this is a move that could take them over the top. Now, you kind of—I'll let you get into your thought because yes.
0: like, I, I kind of
1: also agree with you.
0: It, it was—it's cons- like I love Sean Evans. I, I played against him uh, many times in man cups, and he is just one of the, the best competitors our sport has ever seen. And he, you know, the stats don't lie. He is just an absolute beast when he plays the game whether it's with his fist or with a stick or his mouth it doesn't really matter he's just good at it but I just don't know if adding him to Bushy and Shanks and Peterson and Steven Keogh really made sense and for all those reasons that you just said they are they've probably been their most consistent side of offense all year long with mm-hmm. the struggles of the left-handers I thought maybe a lefty was going to be in the mix, but then we find out that Stephen Keogh goes on COVID and it starts to make a little more sense because, okay, they lose Stephen Keogh. They don't want to upset the lefties that are starting to kind of find their rhythm. So maybe bring in a righty and Sean Evans, as you mentioned, Kurt saying that's a no brainer, but I just don't know what you do when Stephen Keogh is healthy? Yes. Over the next 10 weeks or whatever we have remaining, there is chance of guys getting hurt, getting on COVID, whatever it may be. So you have that luxury of being able to slide guys in and out, but do you want to be having to sit one of those guys every weekend once everybody's healthy? I don't know. So is there more to this once everybody's healthy? Who knows? But when it first came out, we didn't know the Keo thing. And so that's why there were so many questions because it just didn't make sense. Why would you bring him in and have five righties and you're not going to go five and three so you would have to be scratching one of those guys. And the Keough news comes out, okay, that makes a little more sense. This Halifax team is in win-now mode. They have a ton of momentum going. And they don't want to lose any ground to Buffalo through this doubleheader with a double header coming up in a couple of weeks against Buffalo that could really determine who gets first overall in that Eastern division. So uh, from a team standpoint, I, I get it. And I understand it. And I think it does help them this weekend. But the big question is what happens after this weekend?
1: Exactly. And that I'm glad you brought that up because that is the big thing. I think when, before we heard that that Cody Jamison, or sorry, that um, that Stephen Keogh was gonna be going on COVID. So don't think that Kurt Stiers would not think about doing this. Mm-hmm. Bringing in Sean Evans as a placeholder for a weekend. Seeing how things go, if it doesn't work, but they still get their two wins, maybe they flip him somewhere else. Maybe he goes to a Philly. Maybe they trade him somewhere else. Maybe they add him as a piece in a trade to get another defender, maybe to get a lefty to bolster that side of the offense. That wouldn't put it past me as well. But with that being said as well, if Evans looks like he is going to fit, in this unit and he's going to be able to, to, to provide you a championship, then, then do? maybe it works, but, yeah, but what, what do you do? You do? Exactly. <laughs> what do you do? Who do you take out? And that's going to be a question that this coaching staff, and Micah Kersey is going to have to figure out I, I, it, from the outside looking in, I'm very confused with it. I, I also kind of go with the, the same line of thinking that Kurt styers has. And, you know, if you, if you're offered this good of a, of a piece, mm. You'd be crazy not to take them but this group they have that team of destiny vibe to them they have this this aura around them that they have such good chemistry and everyone gets along and there's no clicks there's no groups everyone love everyone um so i don't think they would rock the boat if they didn't think this was going to work or if they had some sort of greater plan
0: yeah it'd be great it would be like the shortest stint on a team ever yeah you know you come in play two you get flipped come in play two games and get flipped right back out like that is a true rental right there so
1: so uh the one one thing i will say though i mentioned his name accidentally but this is why i was bringing up cody jameson and and sean evans played together in 2006 with the six nation arrows yeah you cannot tell me that Kurt styers and Micah Kersey didn't go to Cody Jamison, Jameson and say, Hey, Jammer, what do you think if we're to bring in Abby? Like they, there's no way that they didn't run that by him. And if he didn't think it was a good idea.
0: Well, they played together in Rochester,
1: right? Exactly. Way they played back. in Rochester. Yeah, yeah. Way back as well. They've played together before yeah. they would know. Right. So yeah. they played in Roch, they played in six a, like these guys know each other. They certainly would have, Said, yeah they would have consulted
0: with cody with it absolutely absolutely and
1: and who knows the pulse of that dressing room better than cody
0: yeah absolutely nobody so, right um so that's sort of the first domino to fall uh leading up to the trade deadline um who knows what's going to happen obviously you know we're going to wait until this weekend is over and then we might start to see a little action sunday leading into monday um but as i said on coast to coast this week i just we always get excited about the trade deadline. We Mm -hmm. always think something's going to happen because we look at all these UFAs and we look at the teams that are contenders and we look at the UFAs that aren't teams that aren't contenders. And we say, you know, those guys would be good moves. This would be a great fit. And then nothing happens. And we just get so let down. And I just, I feel like teams value their guy, like respectfully, they value their guys very high. Mm -hmm. And so they want, the most they can get and sometimes i think gms want too much for guys because they just don't want to give up but the fact that you could lose a guy in free agency and get a first round pick some of these teams are like oh that's probably better than the offer i'm getting for a guy so they're just going to hold on so i really hope it's not true but just the pit of my stomach there's this feeling like ah, too many teams are going to win this weekend to keep their hopes alive like albany's gonna win saskatchewan's gonna win calgary's gonna win uh rochester's gonna win and all these teams are gonna be like yeah you know I-, I think we're okay we're a win away from catching the team ahead of us we're not gonna make any changes we'll just roll the dice and free agents and i i just kind of have a feeling that's gonna happen this week
1: it's it is so true and it is the big like well well way to be a downer but yeah it is true. Like, it's just so tight. Like, you know, after having conversations, getting ready for the game this week. Yeah, Glenn Clark is showing no signs of them packing this in anytime soon. There is still a ton of belief in that rock locker room. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll talk to Ryan Smith later on in this episode, they are three and seven, but the way that he's talking, even though they got rid of, you know, their leading goal scorer, there's still belief that they think that they can make a playoff push here. So you you talk to anyone across the league, Saskatchewan, yeah, they just lost to Panther city. Um, and they still think, you know, they're the group that I think it, it, it comes down to this weekend. I don't think it's going to be the fire sale that everyone is expecting, but they lose to San Diego this weekend maybe we see a couple of those pieces go, but I don't think it's going to be Keenan just, you know, completely yeah. letting everything go because you said it like the like deal. If, if, Saskatchewan be wins,
0: if Saskatchewan wins and Calgary and Vancouver lose Saskatchewan's sitting on four wins and they're a game out of third place. For right. Last spot, right. 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 And, and this is a team and, and Jake said it on the podcast, on his show a couple of times, they still have the opportunity to win season series with everybody in the West. So, they have a chance to get a lot of tiebreakers and make up a lot of ground if they mm-hmm. can just string a few wins together.
2: And exactly. it could
0: start this weekend. And that's why I just, you know, yes, that group would love to win one more time and go on a run together. It would be fantastic to see. But, you know, do, do you weigh that against, you know, losing Corbeil, Dilks, Rubish, uh, Linton, or Shatler in free agency and, and hoping you get a bunch of first round compensatory picks? Maybe that's what Keenan's going to do
1: exactly and but the thing is though i think with at least with some of those guys i think teams will be willing like a team like san diego a team like buffalo though they're willing to part ways with more than just a first round draft pick to get an elite talent like that like buffalo uh, for them to bolster that defensive unit and add a guy like Corbeal or um, especially Rubish, like to, mm. to put them into that room and kind of get a little more veteran presence because we know their offense can score. You know, Matt Vince is still one of the best goalies on the planet, but their defense has proven to be a little bit leaky here and there. If you can add a piece like that into that locker room for sure. But Keenan's that conversation is starting with, First round pick and what
0: else? Yeah, and what else? Yeah. What what prospect are you gonna give me that's gonna be worth it? Like know.
1: for Buffalo, it's like I'm sure Derek Keenan's conversation is starting with first round pick, Brad McCulley, or even a guy like Matt Spanger. Mm-hmm. Like and that yeah. and who and how do you how do you part ways with a youngster unless you are okay going to bed if you're chugger saying I'm ready to forfeit some of our future to win a championship this year?
0: And when you look at that offense, like Burns, not going anywhere. Dane's not going anywhere. Fraser's not going anywhere. Fields isn't going anywhere. DeHoke is not going anywhere. There's your top five front door guys, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: that's going to be a hard run for Brad McCullough to crack on a regular basis. So right. maybe, maybe Tucker says, yeah, you know what? I'm going to keep this group together. And that is a piece that they can run. I'm sure it is a piece that Derek Keenan would love to have. So there are tons of questions. We all have them. Uh, But until this weekend's over, we may not have any sort of answers. So let's kind of quickly look back on the weekend that was in week 14. Um, What comeback story pulled at your heartstrings the most? Was it Dan Loma scoring a hat trick, including a goal on his first shot of the game, the first goal of the game for his team? Or was it Aaron Bold making 38 saves, 12 goals against, and the win for the T-Birds?
1: Listen, I, I love Danny Lomas. Um, I His comeback story has been intriguing. Listening to him on the podcast, following him along on social media. I was so pumped up to see how good of a game he played. Um, and keep in mind, like when he first was going through, you know, his surgery and his, his detailed plans with his camp and his doctors, he put this game on his calendar and said, I'm going to come back for this game, play in front of family and friends. This is going to be, and he, he he achieved that. And that was so fantastic to see. But with that being said, what we saw from Aaron Bold, um, truly emotional stuff, yeah. uh, bigger than the game type of stuff. Like first game playing, you know, without his wife against his former team, not playing very well in that first half. And episode hasn't dropped yet. I haven't seen it yet, um, but there was some emotional things said in the locker room um, and you could tell that he was ready to 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 really sell out for his brothers, as he keeps calling them, who have battled for him to keep him in the league here and give him that second chance. Um, and then he went out and played tremendous. It was vintage Aaron bold stuff in that second half, you know, one or two goals against some big, big stops down the stretch. Um, and you could tell when the horn sounded, everyone ran off the bench and was so, so happy to go congratulate him because everyone just, you know, you couldn't help but smile because you knew how important that win was for him.
0: Yeah. And I've known Boldy for quite some time and he and I have a a real good relationship and, you know, he and I talked a little bit before game and he was like, Michelle's going to be right there with me, man. And I said, I absolutely know she will be. And she was mm-hmm. maybe was getting a pop or a bag of popcorn <laughs> in that second quarter um, where he kind of struggled a bit. But, you know, as Boldy, true to form, just settled himself down. You mentioned a few times in the broadcast. Yes, his physical preparation is always great, but his mental preparation is yeah. so good. He watches so much film, has notes on everybody and really just is a student of the game. And to see him go on that run in the second half where only gave up two goals, made 18 saves, allowed the Halifax Thunderbirds to settle in and claw their way back, get the fans into it, get the nest buzzing and allowed them to, you know, get a very important win for their group. Many of the things we talked about before, keeping that momentum going. So absolutely loved it for Aaron Bold. Uh, The Dan Lomas thing is just incredible because as someone who's had a, a really debilitating leg injury, The, the process of coming back is the hardest one because there's so many dark days and depressing days and days where you don't think it's ever gonna, you're ever gonna get to that circle date on the calendar. And he had a plan. He had an incredible group around him, everybody that worked with him off the floor and in the training room and rehab and at home just was incredible to see. And and we talked to Daniel on a certain, he said he had the game circled on his calendar. He wanted this game and the timing worked out and yes, a win would have been amazing. But The fact that he had a hat trick, like, come on, yeah. Staves! I, I tweeted out, save some goals for the rest of the season, brother. you don't got to get them all in that first game back, but just amazing scenes to see, you know, he doesn't in try in front of family and friends um, just an incredible night, obviously an important win for the Toronto rock, but the, the comeback stories of bold and Lomas um, will be two of the greatest stories that we tell, throughout the course of the year. So that was one game uh, with some key talking points. Would you rather talk about Westberg's diving Tommy twists around the world goal or the fact that Frankie has three times held a team to four goals?
1: God, uh, I mean, I think just, the, the visual is the best way to talk about that goal because really it was just a feat of, of all, like watching that live, when you watch it happen, you like, I literally said to myself, like, did, did that just yeah. happen? And I think, yes, looking at it, you see how incredible of a goal it was. And I think, I know he only finished with five points, but like that was an impressive performance. Like he, he scored some big goals Came up with some big plays and and obviously the biggest play was that goal. But for me, again, like Chiliano is proving that he needs to be in the conversation for goaltender of the year. Yep. It's remarkable what he's doing. And maybe it's because he's not making the big acrobatic saves that we see from from Matt and Vince or you know Warren Hill, that his name's not getting thrown in there as much. And a lot of people are leaning on the narrative that. This Seals defense is is really solid and the system that is in place is very good. But I think it's time to put that. I Exactly. He still has to stop the ball. He had 50 saves. So it's not like he's putting up like a 38, 35 save performance. Like it, it was remarkable stuff and he continues to do it. And this is a guy that a lot of people and sometimes myself have had question marks of him. To be the number one guy, we know he's a number one starter, but is he an elite goaltender? I think certainly he has answered those questions because he has been nothing short of elite all season long.
0: The crazy thing is I went back and watched that game last night and two of the four goals were stinkers. Like I think the first goal he let in maybe in the second quarter just like snuck through his pads and barely rolled across the line. It was the Dixon goal. Like... Dixon shot it through a screen. Frank got like nine tenths of it and barely crossed the line. There was another goal later in the game that just kind of, it was the breakaway goal from maybe Goodwin. I can't remember who was on the breakaway from Calgary, but um, that one snuck through him. So like really he only got beat cleanly twice. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredible to see um, what he's doing. And I wholeheartedly agree. He has to be in the consideration for goal goaltender of the year. He may not get all the press um because he's deep down there in, in san diego in the sunshine but i think when you look at the scope of things across the national Cross league and what he's doing he's held colorado he's held calgary and panther city to four goals three times this year no one's done it like more than twice in their career he's done it three times in one year and you cannot you know turn a blind eye to that he's leading with a 7.73 goals against savage and he's Second in save percentage behind Dylan Ward. So um Fair you enough. have to throw his name into consideration. And the San Diego Seals continue to roll. Uh Panther City with another big win. This time it wasn't my boy Patrick Dodd scoring the OT winner, but Will Malcolm, another West Coast guy, scores it in overtime. And that's another big win for Panther Cities. They've now won two in a row. They go into Colorado this weekend, but They might've put a serious dagger in the rush's hopes, but again, another game. And I don't know how many people have said this to me, Pat. And they said, was that Derek Keenan standing on the bench, leaning against the water jug all game long? I was like, yep, that's him. And that cannot be a very confident thing when you're on the bench. Every time you come off, there's your GM just standing there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I, I don't know. Like, you know there there are questions. Why is he down there? And mm-hmm. he it doesn't look like he's coaching. And you could easily take those kind of notes from the press box. I just kind of seems seems odd to me.
1: Is it more a concern if you're a player or if it's if you're on the coaching staff? Do you think maybe he's more or less assessing how this bench staff is, is coaching without everybody?
0: Him? Everybody has to be on watch.
1: Bro. Yeah. Yeah, like for I, sure.
0: I think the way this whole year is gone, you know, it's it's been the first year without him really all the way behind the bench, running things in the middle. So it's a it's a test for Quinlan being back. It's a test for Bubba being in the in the middle. It's got to put a lot of pressure on Jeremy. It's Levy running the back door, but it's it's got to resonate through that whole locker room. Yeah. everywhere and you go, there's your GM looking over your shoulder.
1: And this 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 whole game for me, finally, we saw the Saskatchewan offense come to life. Like, Mm -hmm. finally, you saw, you know, Keenan had a couple of goals. Church with another big game. Matthews with three and three. We saw Paulus get in the lineup and he had three assists, but the defense and especially the goaltending, I mean, Eric Penny, we did not see the Eric Penny that we saw um, in in Saskatoon. Mm -hmm. A shoot comes in and plays mop-up duty, but man, the, the. if this team could get it together at the same time as the defense and the offense is clicking, they can go on that run. Like we keep talking about that, but it's, it's gotta get done soon. They are running out of time. And I think this weekend against the best team in the West um, in the standings, if they can win, I think they stay with this group or a good chunk of the group and they push forward. I think if they lose, There's a couple of guys on that team that maybe have worn the, the rush Jersey for the last time.
0: Yeah. And it will be sad when some of those guys aren't in a rush Jersey anymore. So um, that was the second overtime game. The other overtime game, uh, Georgia wins it in overtime. Uh, Again, another team that just kind of keeps slinging around as they beat Rochester 17, 16 in in a wild shootout they're now in that fifth place in the east good enough for the crossover spot into the west so a little jockeying but again we don't really see them really as buyers or sellers but they're a team that's in the mix
1: they're certainly in the mix teddy and one more win and they get back up to 500 and they are very much already in the playoff mix Um, but if, if you can get up to that six and six point now you're not just thinking about oh maybe we can push for that potential wild card, uh, but maybe you're looking at knocking Philadelphia out of the spot, and you're in a good spot right now. Halifax is going to have to play a hard fought game on uh, at home. Um, they'll have to take a, a flight. They're going to get somewhere. into Georgia. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I somewhere they're they'll they'll fly probably to Toronto and then I assume into Atlanta, and then they'll get to the Metro Atlanta um, area. <laughs> and i think that's a a spot where georgia will be happy to wait for them come in and but we know how teams play off back to backs i think that's going to be a really really good game um but you mentioned it they're not going to be sellers they're not going to be buyers john Arlot is a guy that doesn't matter if it's buying or selling if there's a deal that he likes (laughs) he's going to make it
0: um one other note in that game was the Hartley incident. Um, I had originally thought he caught one, uh, deep down South. Um, but it turns out that he did take a shot right off the helmet. And you noticed that we all noticed that he wasn't really all there. Went to the bench, splooshed some water sort of on his face and was like, no, I'm staying it. there has to be a better concussion protocol, um, What's the word I'm looking for? I want to say, protocol, uh, a protocol, yeah. a protocol, protocol to to stop that from happening because that's a scary, scary incident, especially for a goaltender.
1: I was I was very thrown off at first. I assumed he got his bell rung and then you know when he goes. To, well, I mean, even before he goes to the bench, he kind of was hanging over his trainer Mm -hmm. and then i don't know if it was thrown on the broadcast or if someone put it out on twitter or whatever it was people started saying he got you know hit below the belt as you said goes to the bench quick little square to water joel watson looks like he's getting ready to go in the cage and then boom next thing you know he's running back to the crease i get it players goalies especially if there's an opportunity where they can get back inside back onto the floor and give their chance their team a chance to win and and go to battle they're going to take it but there comes to a point where it's not safe Mm -hmm. and I'm not too sure what happened how he was able to but I agree with you the league has to take a look at this I'm sure they have Um, especially a young goalie like that's scary like if he was to take another shot in the head um, after that moment like that could be Maybe not necessarily career ending, but certainly career threatening, mm-hmm. um, especially as a young promising goaltender.
0: Yeah. There's no, there's no spotters like they have in the NHL where someone will call down to the bench and say, Hey, that guy looks a little unstable. He should go off the floor. There's no, no rules like in, in the NFL where a guy takes it, they immediately got to come off and go in the blue tent, but in a physical game like ours and in the sport where the ball is at head level, uh, I really do think they need to pay attention that a lot more and i I agree i think the league will look into that and and that's something they talk about in the offseason.
1: well there's so much stress on eliminating the headshot and you know assessing those major penalties for you know automatically you know hitting the head any sort of point of emphasis um you know we're seeing greater suspensions for repeat offenders of, of and that's all great and that's all fine let's protect the goaltenders as well Mm -hmm. because uh, i i you know a cross check to the head an elbow to the head is just as dangerous if not you know the the head shot of a ball hitting a goalie's head is just as dangerous as those if not more dangerous. and that probably
0: happens you know more often in a lacrosse game than an elbow to the head does because again balls are floating up in that area it's goalies will take a ball off the helmet three four times a game um often it's just glancing blows but when it's those direct on shots, like, uh, and you're right, there is no goalie in the world that want to, would want to come out in that situation late in a game, in a, in a close game, but for prolonged health and longevity of your career, that is a moment where trainers need to step up and say, hey, man, there's no way I'm putting you back in this game. Yeah. And it's just got to be something to look at. So, um, the other thing we want to talk, touch on before we get to Ryan Smith of the Rochester Nighthawks and the PLO Chaos is spandex gate. (laughs) Um, There have been times in games where I have seen players have to go and change a shoe or something like that, a glove, maybe. Uh, we often see guys with stickers on their helmets because they're not wearing a bow or they're wearing a warrior whatever it may be due to personal contracts but i have never seen a coach pull a referee over late in a lacrosse game and say hey those guys are wearing the improper spandex color and then have the ref go over to the other coach and said hey jt told me clarky that you got three guys that are wearing the wrong color spandex they got to go change them they can't come on the floor they did and it was a perfect shot of the camera on the broadcast of reza terrence q and and whoever the other was um running down the back hallway to go and rip off their spandex and come back to play some call it a cowardice move, a greasy move by JT. Some call it sportsmanship and playing the game or gamesmanship, not sportsmanship, gamesmanship. And just, you know, knowing the ins and outs of the rules. But if that would have come back, like if they would have gotten scored on right there, it would have been something. Yes. They end up losing in overtime, but like maybe save that for the playoffs.
1: That's, that's my line of thinking. I like to use that, that, Card that early. <sighs> Say what you will about your faith, your beliefs, karma, like that's just a, a karma I'm not really willing to throw out to the lacrosse gods. That's right? something that I'm afraid that might bite you, you know, bite you in the ass down the season. And uh, apparently I heard so what it exactly was, was when, cause you, there's always a review after, you mm-hmm. know, two minutes, so when the officials just went over to go explain to JT what had happened, he also piped up and said, Oh, by the way, so and so aren't wearing the proper colors of, of the tights. So now all of a sudden you have Nick Chaikowski out on offense because you have the you know, your some of your last minute offensive guys are changing their their tights. And yeah. as you and I know, <laughs> any of the, that tight clothing especially after you've been sweating for about 60 easy. minutes it doesn't come off that easy i'd be cutting i'd be cutting it cutting it off yeah, ripping yeah. it off somehow rolling the i don't know if they could have just rolled the 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 spandex up um but man just a wild 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 way to to almost end it
0: um yeah. but um, from uh, rule 26-1 All players on each team shall be dressed uniformly with approved design and color of their helmets, jerseys, shorts, socks, and shoes. All players wearing leggings must be in uniformity of their teammates. All players must be uniformly to their team's colors, white or black are acceptable leggings. So like they were wearing white leggings, I believe. So maybe because they were wearing dark jerseys, they had to be wearing dark spandex. I don't know. however, that's knowing the rules within the rules and trying to use them to your advantage, but the optics of it, uh, we just a little greasy on JT's part. Again, he's trying to do whatever he can to get a win for his club. I commend him for that, but to call three guys out at the same time at the end of the game, like, I don't know. I don't know. But we did see yeah. faceoffs matter in that yeah. game at the end when Nardella lost that draw to Adler. And they go down to score right away. So crazy, face-offs crazy.
1: matter, man. Face-offs matter. While we're on that talk, I won't go off too hard here. But <laughs> you
0: don't need too many ricochet shots
2: of tie.
1: No, not at all. I, I, I'm not talking just about tie. No way. I'm just I'm just speaking. I'm just speaking aloud. <laughs> um, I mean, if you wanna go back to that Halifax Vancouver game, well, Halifax well, not well, able 23 to
0: 23 of 25 or something like that.
1: 23-25, he wins that draw to himself, gets to the back door of Peterson yeah. and in you know three goals in, in 35 seconds. That doesn't happen if you aren't able to win a couple of draws in a row, right? Vancouver so, was
0: intentionally losing draws. They were just going early.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, to I, stop honestly, the they,
0: transition break.
1: Exactly. And that that that's the thing. So I mean, I would love to, I, I really would like to sit down and, and have a conversation with coaches across the league because i do still feel like there are some coaches that i don't know necessarily say faceoffs don't matter but there's certainly some coaches that believe it matters a lot more than other ones
0: well just look at you know adler got signed a couple weeks ago colorado just signed what all uh when they with timmy edwards going down um you know Nardella's is having a year wiz is having a year baptiste is having a year there's five teams right there that have pretty dominant, straightforward draw guys, you know, Tyrell Hamer, Jackson, Vancouver, uh, Tyler Burton in Colorado, or sorry, Calgary, TD Ireland in, in Toronto, that's becoming a more dominant position or not dominant, but yeah, actually dominant because the guys yeah. who are the best are having dominant games and mm-hmm. whether you think they are important or not, or they have meaning or not, lot, it is a situational thing. Sure middle of the second quarter may not have as much weight as last minute of the fourth quarter. But if your team is on a run, you want to be able to keep that momentum going and it sure you could do all the stats you want. And I know Graham Perro has done this numbers of times. Whenever people bring this up, he goes into a deep dive and shows the numbers of, Hey, you know what? Teams that win the majority of draws win this percentage of of games. I get that, but you, I, I think it needs to be deeper look of, you know, one goal games, winning face-offs down the stretch and things like that. I think being able to have a guy that can be dominant at the face-off dot and give you good minutes on the back end or wherever you're playing them is essential to any team's success. And I think we're going to see a correlation of that as we move forward in this league, that teams with a dominant draw guy are going to have dominant years and end up winning more championships than not.
1: Couldn't have said it better myself, my man.
0: All right, let's get to Ryan Smith. Uh, His club coming off a tough loss down in Georgia, but they are still in the mix. They are three and seven. They're only a couple wins away from being right in the playoff hunt. And if they have a big game this weekend against New York, they're definitely in the hunt. He's a member of the chaos. He's a member of the Nighthawks. is a proud alum of Bobby Moe. This is Ryan Smith right here on the Off the Crossbar Podcast. joined now by ryan smith of the rochester Nighthawks end of the champion pll chaos we will get into that but
2: rhino how are you my brother what's going on i'm doing well guys thanks for having me uh just working away here in the in the basement in ontario and, and that's about it uh life is pretty
0: good for you uh breaking news you are down a teammate a- as of wednesday uh the news coming that uh rochester sending sean evans the legend to halifax um It was short but sweet, but how did you enjoy your time playing
2: with one of the greats of our game? Yeah, no, definitely very, very honored to be able to play, like you said, with a legend like that, uh, over 450 goals, over 800 assists, and uh, definitely taught me a lot of things, and um, having a guy like that just in your ear just to go out there and be confident and play your game uh, definitely helps with the confidence, and uh, no, definitely will miss him, but wish him the best of luck in Halifax.
0: Obviously, as, you know, a GTA guy, you saw probably grew up watching a lot of heavy lacrosse. What was sort of one thing that stood out to you finally getting to play with him?
2: Just that scrappiness. Um, playing against him my first year senior, uh, Oakville versus Peterborough. Uh, just really saw firsthand, obviously watched it a lot growing up as well, but being in a game with him and uh, seeing a guy who doesn't have a lot of size, uh, but just being so scrappy and uh, that's one thing he really was teaching me just how to how to use your body. And when a guy with his size um uh, is telling you how to how he uses his body, um uh, makes you think that I, I should really be using my body a lot more too. So um no, um like I said, definitely very very honored to be able to play with him and it definitely took a lot in from him as well.
1: You mentioned Oakville and um you know you burst onto the scene with the rock in your first couple of seasons of senior how important were those informative years and even the past summer with the msl how how much did that attribute to your quick start in the nll
2: no it's huge uh, being able to learn the speed a little bit more uh, i find the nll is faster than senior a too but uh, definitely that nice middle ground between junior a and then going straight to the nll and just the size of the defenders too um there's some big boys back there on the back ends for a lot of teams and usually get, get matched up with them as well so just um learning the speed and, and how much bigger all the guys are on the back end
0: it's obviously a bonus having a big guy like matty giles as your OCI play with with him in Edmonton, and then he was a foe of mine on you know, our man cup battles with Victoria and Peterborough. Uh, how important is it to kind of have a guy that is a very similar playing style to yours kind of running your offense, you can kind of pick his brain and, and lean on, on some
2: of those tough nights? No, it's huge. Um, like you said, guys with similar playing styles. Uh, whenever he tells you to do something, it's it's because it, it works and it works for a reason. Uh, so, like I said, with Shawnee, just trying to take in as much in from GI as well.
1: We uh, obviously we I, we had a conversation. Actually, no, this was TSN. Uh, we were talking when you guys had your game of the week, um, you know, with the, your coaching staff and, and with Dan Carey, I asked, you know, does the start to the season kind of change expectations where your season goes you guys obviously started out pretty hot kind of cooled off um but it seems like the and i hate using this cliche but trust the process is there obviously you guys are hungry to win but do you guys still have the focus that maybe this year isn't the year but you still have a good core in place going forward that you can be a championship contender down the road
2: For sure. No, we talk about that a lot in the locker room. Uh, Hazer sends a really good message um, regarding that just about, you know, we're not settling for moral victories anymore this year. Uh, You know, the first year if they didn't really get blown out, they're like, okay, we're in the game. We have a good team. But this year, um, adding so many new pieces, uh, draft picks coming in, adding guys like Thomas Hogarth and Matt Gilray as well. um, We're not really settling for those moral victories. Um, Obviously we started out two and one there and went on a bit of a skid. Um, but we have now, I think, I think it's eight weekends in a row where we're playing. So hopefully just nail down that consistency a lot more. And we've kind of had three outbursts as, as an offense, putting up two against Albany. And then, uh, this past weekend against Georgia as well. And, um, no, we're, we're looking to go on a run. Um, we have the players to do, it. we have so much talent room, obviously it's a very young group. Um, but no, no, we're not really settling for, okay, we have a couple more wins than the first year after the expansion draft uh, we're still trying to push for the playoffs and then see what happens once we make the playoffs
0: i know you probably don't want to give away too many of your secrets but what the hell do you guys have on albany that makes you so successful
2: <laughs> I, i'm not too sure um i think watching the film on those games just uh when we seem to be struggling as an offense we're all kind of on top of each other and just those three games where we've kind of put up 14 plus goals Um, it's just been a lot better spacing and a lot more movement of the ball, which every, every good offense does. So um, just really trying to nail down those key factors uh, in the next few games here.
0: You've experienced a few things, you know, in your NLO career, you know, and your PLO career first road trips, first, you know, the bus rides with the fellas, but had you ever seen anything like bandit land traveling to Rochester the other week, just the amount of fans that they had just surrounding your bench and their bench. It's quite a scene for someone who's never seen it before.
2: For sure. No, uh, especially because um, I wasn't able to play in Buffalo when we played there. Uh, so, no, that was kind of firsthand seeing uh, what their fans are all about. And it created a really cool atmosphere as well. Um, fortunately, we came up on the short end of that one as well. But seeing that fan base was kind of crazy. But we had a very good showing of uh, Nighthawks fans as well.
1: Leading up to your rookie season, you were one of the most highly touted prospects. But it wasn't always the case for you, Ryan, obviously playing Junior C, then playing with the Oakville Junior B buzz. I think even Hamilton in Junior yep. B there, and then finally getting up to the Chiefs and really finding your stride. What would you say to someone who's maybe in their first or second year in Junior, not cracking that Junior A lineup or maybe not even cracking a, the Junior B lineup in their town?
2: Yeah, um, you know, it's just all about hard work and dedicating yourself to the sport. Um, obviously, it helped me because I had about an eight, 10-inch growth spurt during <laughs> during those times. but <laughs> um you know just having confidence in yourself that you can go out there and play with anybody um i feel like that first year where i played junior c, i think i only had 10 12 points in eight games or something like that in junior c and then uh just starting to build the confidence once i got up to the junior b level uh oh a lot to clancy almas and jeff dowling who helped me out there then obviously uh dan mccray with the oprah buzz just kind of uh bring me up to junior a after i got traded back there my third year of junior um owe a lot to him as well for just kind of instilling that confidence in me and like I said it's just you have to work your way up you don't always start at the top of the totem pole uh which I've kind of learned in the PLL and NLL as well uh you start right at the bottom and you have to prove yourself at every level you get to
0: how was that growth spurt for you because everyone kind of deals with it differently you know I know a lot of kids would get like osgood slaughters with you know have knee issues or their you know their body grows but their mind doesn't like how was that growth spurt for you
2: yeah, so I actually was very lucky and had a pretty much no growing pains. Um, when I came into high school, I was only four foot ten. Um, <laughs> and then when I graduated high school, I was about uh, five eleven, six foot and then grew another inch or two at, at Robert Morris. So no, I was, I was definitely very fortunate. that um, I, I didn't really have many growing pains.
0: Uh, you mentioned Bobby Mo. It's continually uh, a hotbed for Canadians to go down. Um, and play their calls across there. What's so enticing uh, about the program down there?
2: Yeah, it's just such a good culture. And I know um, when I went down on my visit, I think they had 20 Canadians at that point. Uh, So it just feels like home. It just feels like you're back here in Ontario or BC or or wherever you're coming from. Um, So it's just definitely a home and family culture that they have there. Um, And it's just nice being around 20 other Canadians who who are exactly like you coming from the box across background.
0: And it's got to be pretty cool, you know, seeing former teammates around the NL. I know Brad McCulley's in Buffalo and, and you guys have a pretty good relationship, but, but that's kind of got to be a cool feeling, you know, being teammates for four years and then still being friends, but rivals when you step on the floor in the NLL or even the PLL.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, and two of my other college roommates are on Buffalo as well. And Justin Robinson and, and Nathaniel Kostensikov. Right, Kostensikov. So no, I, I text with Brad all the time, but when it comes time to play well, I kind of text in the morning saying I'm not talking to you for about a week here. So uh, no, it is, it is cool seeing all the guys um, at the next level, I like Tyson Gibson in New York and just so many guys throughout the NLL and it just definitely um, all the thanks to coach McMinn for, you know, bringing in all the Canadians and creating a fun box cross environment on the field as well.
1: Well, on the flip side, uh, your fellow rookie, Charlie Bertrand, comes into the NL with next to no um, box lacrosse experience. I was you know, hearing that he like he didn't even know how to properly change like the first exhibition game he played. And really, like, you know, when the coaching staff asked, Oh, so what's your box lacrosse experience? He basically said, I played hockey before. So <laughs> pretty funny to see. But well, with all that being said. It looks like this guy's picked up the game pretty quickly, hasn't he?
2: Yeah, no, Ch- Chucky's been great. Um, its I remember the first day of training camp, we are just kind of hanging out, um, kind of met each other in the summer before, um, and I just kind of asked him what our coaches are. I was like, so how, like, have you ever played before? And he basically just said, I've played a couple pickup games at home with my friends, but uh, that's about it, and seeing how fast he's picked up the game just speaks to how he is as a player just the iq level he has obviously um he's played in a lot of the two-man games at virginia and the school he was at prior as well rather than uh just being a strict one-on-one dodger i think definitely helped him and playing with peyton cormier when he was at virginia in the two-man definitely he definitely probably learned a lot from that um but no it's been pretty crazy um seeing how much he's grown already um, having no box lacrosse experience and just being thrown in an NLL game and scoring in his first game was pretty, pretty crazy to see. Um,
0: do you think the loss of Evie puts any pressure on you?
2: For sure. Um, when you trade away a guy who has over 1300 points in the NLL, um, kind of a lot of more pressure on everyone to kind of step up and produce, um, especially him being a righty, um, we all kind of have to step up on the right side and kind of fill that void. Um, and just bring that leadership that he brings and that tenaciousness. Um, like I said, he's just so scrappy and um, re- really would do anything for any of us, even um, if it's on the floor, if it's off the floor. Um, so no, definitely a little bit of added pressure uh, trading Shawnee.
0: Um, before we get to some chaos chatter, um, do you prefer vinyl or do you prefer the dinosaur barbecue after games?
2: We haven't gone to vinyl yet actually just with what? COVID, just with COVID. Oh yeah. not um, um and I I haven't actually had dinosaur barbecue either yet this year Okay, well then you uh, have no excuse for that yeah I'll take that one that one's bad for sure uh, I'll, I'll have to try and get out there this weekend sometime okay but tell me you've had a garbage plate I have not no you're gonna kill teddy here man i know i'm sorry teddy (laughs) it's
0: all right but like friend of the brand but you got to start living the life in rochester man
2: i've had dinosaur barbecue before i just i haven't got out there this year that's all right that's all right um we we mentioned
0: chaos life and and you were part of the 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 champions this past summer what a run for you guys but just an incredible group of people um involved from andy towers all the way down um we see glimpse of it Uh, you know, on social media with the highlight tapes that they put out and some of the videos that the PLL puts out, but what's it like really being in that locker room with someone who's just overly enthusiastic like Andy Towers?
2: Yeah, you don't really notice it as much online because he's like that 24-7 in person. First time I ever met him, he came up to kind of shake my hand and I just got a forearm straight to the chest (laughs) kind of knocked the wind out of me, so... When somebody's as fired up as he is all the time, um, it's kind of hard not to get fired up for games and and wanting to go out there to do anything you can to help the team win. And he's also, I talked about the culture that Coach McMinn built at RMU. It's very similar culture, very family style. um, And no, it was definitely a great experience uh, last summer. It seemed
1: like obviously the... um the va- fan vote and being the underdog was was a big storyline on social media at least did you guys use like the underdog narrative as motivation or was that kind of played up a little bit more on social media
2: it was definitely played up but we definitely felt like we were the underdogs going to a lot of those games I know we start kind of had a tough start just because everyone didn't really have their visa so they couldn't play so we kind of started that 0-3 and, and we kind of had to back, battle back but no, we definitely had a chip on our shoulders, um, knowing how much talent we did have on that team and knowing the style we played, no one's really ever seen, um, in the field lacrosse because we're literally playing box lacrosse out there on the field. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, no, we definitely use that a little bit.
0: Um, and, and the news of the past couple of weeks is you guys now got Dohoc and Anticoke. Um, so the rich get richer. Um, you know, you got to see him quite a bit, you know, in the lacrosse world. What do you like about his game that will help this chaos team continue to be successful moving forward?
2: For sure. He, he's a hell of a player. I've played him since I've been about five years old, I think. Uh, I'm a year older than him, so kind of play each other every other year. And those Burlington Six Nations matchups are always very big, growing up in minor and into junior as well. And he's just got probably the best stick I've I've ever seen some of the stuff he does that you see online and it kind of blows my blows all everyone's mind and it's just uh, very exciting to watch him play and, I, and I've never played with him so I'm excited too.
0: and notice Patty hasn't brought this up but um, as we see you you got an Ovechkin jersey behind you um, are you not a Leafs fan
2: I'm not a Leafs fan I'm actually um, it's kind of funny I have an OV jersey because I'm a Pens fan actually oh Oh, <laughs> so, so kind of a weird switch up there. <laughs> interesting,
0: interesting. How did you become a Pens
2: fan? My my dad's never been a Leafs fan either. And he he kind of steered me away from the Leafs. Um, and then I just loved watching Crosby and Melkin play uh, when I was a kid. And then when I moved to school in Pittsburgh, um, just kind of became even more of a Pens fan, being able to go, go to some of those games downtown.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, if you weren't a, a Pens fan before, certainly you know, going to school down there, going to some games definitely would, would convert you. But I am a Leafs fan, Um, but your dad is a smart man scaring
0: you away from not cheering for them. because Yeah,
2: uh, saving save a lot of heartaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um,
0: we talked about guys you played with in the future of this game. Another guy you played with uh in the MSL Classic was Jonathan Donville. Um Everyone's kind of excited to see him get into the national crossing, get into the, into the
2: pro game. Um, What
0: can people expect from him? Because, you know, he was the top pick in this year's draft.
2: Yeah. um, I've played with Donnie since I think he came to Burlington and about Bantam lacrosse. Um, And he's just an all around player. Um, He can be a playmaker, he can be a goal scorer, he can be the inside guy, banging bodies, getting his teammates open. And I think one thing that really sets him apart is his willingness to do any of those roles um he's willing to do all of them and i know uh, they have randy stats coming back next year too mm-hmm. so uh, i think that's a very good one-two punch um so no definitely excited to see uh, what he does and he's killing it so far at maryland this year so no very intrigued to see how how he does next year
1: you gotta ask about your other burlington boy then and, and ryan lanchbury uh, what what, uh, what can people expect to see uh, out of him um you know next season
2: Mm -hmm. No, I mean, me and Lanchbury, we've been best friends since we've been about 11, 12 years old. So uh, no, definitely know his game very well. And he's just one of the best playmakers, Um, probably the best playmaker that I've ever played with. Um, He's just such a good passer. Um, And then he takes his shots when he gets the opportunity as well. And um, you'll just see so many assists in getting his teammates open and uh, setting up a lot of goals.
0: Uh, You guys have the New York Riptide this weekend, a rematch of the opening game of the year. Uh, What what do you learn from that first game? Because both teams have really evolved since then.
2: For sure. Um, You know, their offense has kind of been playing super well lately uh, with T. Crawford, Tyson Gibson. They're kind of loaded up front. And their defense seems like they're coming together a lot more with Orleman, uh, kind of becoming the starter and kind of taking off as well, and playing super well. Um, and they're, they've kind of become a very balanced, very good team, uh, with some of the wins that they're picking up. So, uh, definitely going to need our full effort for 60 minutes. And that's kind of the one thing we've been missing this year. We've been winning or up tied or down one goal with kind of 10 minutes left. And then we have a three minute lull and then we're down four goals. Um, so we just need a complete 60 minute effort.
0: Uh, Is that an easy switch for you guys? Do you think to, to kind of. Go
2: from a 48-minute team to a 60-minute team? For sure it is. Um, there's not really one thing you can kind of pinpoint to say, this is why it's happening. Um, but the fact is that it's, it's been happening, and, and we need to do something to clean it up. And um, like I said, it's not e- that easy of a fix, because if it was, every team would play for 60 minutes every night, right? So um, just kind of trying to do all the little things as best as possible, because that's all you can really control is how, how hard you work. Uh, you can't really control much else. So just trying to have the full effort for 60 minutes.
0: Nine games, 36 points, uh, an outstanding start to your pro career. Uh, appreciate the time I man. Good luck this weekend and we'll talk soon, my friend.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, that's Ryan Smith, a big friend of the brand uh, right here on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Um, I just love talking to that guy because he he's so light and energetic, but really just kind of enjoys the process of being a professional lacrosse player.
1: He does. And I've had a couple of conversations with him before when he was playing with... Oakville, and he just every time you just ask him a question, big smile on his face, and just you could tell he's a guy that just loves playing lacrosse, loves talking about lacrosse, whether it's about his team, the team they're playing, guys on his team. Like he just truly, truly enjoys the game. And I can't stress it enough that I think just because he had those two massive years of junior A. People just assume he was this highly touted prospect forever, but his road to get to where he was. And, you know, we went to Robert Morris. Yeah, it's a great program. Um, And it has a lot of Canadians, but like he went from Robert Morris to then playing on, uh, you know, a professional championship team in field lacrosse, like played junior C, played for two different junior B teams. Like he got cut from his junior B team in Oakville and had to go play in Hamilton like it's just such an awesome story and I know we're seeing more and more guys that have had some background not playing junior right right out of the gates Um, but he's a guy that I think just so many people forget um, where he came from and how hard he had to work because yeah he's gifted and yeah he's got a big frame although I didn't didn't realize how small he was until he mentioned that earlier, but he's a guy that had to work very hard to where he is.
0: What do you say? 4'11 to 4'10 4'11. to 5'11 in like span of yeah. a couple of years? Like, gee. Yeah. Yeah. From,
1: from I think from grade nine, from grade nine to first year at Bobby Mo. Yeah.
0: And then he said he grew an extra inch of Bobby Moore or something like that. And yeah. That, that is a yeah. hefty grocery bill uh, on Mama Smith there. So a uh, great chat <laughs> with Ryan Smith. Um, obviously that PLL chaos team is just an absolute wagon and they keep getting better and better matches. If they somehow get Reed Bowering in the draft coming up, that would just be another coup from Andy Towers who was on hand for Albany and Buffalo. Yeah. I don't know half a dozen or more guys playing in that game this past weekend. So um great stuff from ryan smith Um, i hate
1: to burst your bubble i hate to burst your bubble remember bowering did he did already sign did he with the water dogs yes because he yeah he didn't enter the draft
0: oh maybe he's yeah he
1: signed when carly uh Charlie Kitchen and, and Matt Hosek, Um right, right, right,
0: right, right, right. Thanks for bursting yes, the bubble. Yes, to be yes. busted. No
1: worries. It's okay. okay. It's okay. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They
0: got the Oka. They got the Oka. They got the Oka. So, yeah. Can't win them all. Tough break for Andy Towers. <laughs> he got the Oka over Reed Bowery. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Uh, week 15 is upon us and boy have we got some juicy matchups seven of them three on Friday four on Saturday Albany at Halifax is your TSN game of the week yourself John Abbott Ashley Docking um, reuniting of the relaxed crew with Tyson Geick you guys I had some fun with that this past weekend I'm sure you'll do it again but Evie makes his debut with the T-Birds rejoining the the organization, the franchise that he started his career with. But this is a team that already beat Halifax once this year. Can they do it again?
1: They definitely have the formula. They definitely have the game plan. Talking to Glenn Clark, he said, you know (laughs) – you don't exactly throw out your game plan but he even said you know as a as a lacrosse fan i'm interested to see how sean evans fits into this offense he obviously knows him quite well um coaching him in new england um, but he said you know we're we are more or less worried about ourselves and what our defense can do and that's one thing that they are very focused on the offense has been electric joe rez is an mvp candidate um they need to figure out how they can get back to playing consistent They have kind of been battling the injury bug a little bit, some untimely COVID cases as well on the defense, but they believe the defense needs to get back to where they were. Yeah, they know they're not going to hold Halifax to six goals again, um, but they do not feel like they can get into that run and gun um, next goal, last goal wins. Like They want to really get back to that hard-nosed Albany defense. But with that being said, that offense now has a little more firepower to go punch for punch um, with some of the dynamic offensive pieces that Halifax has. Um, but I'm really, really looking forward to seeing Warren Hill back in the cage. Mm-hmm. As much as it was great to see Aaron Bold play, Hill should be cleared from his COVID the defense, man, this Halifax defense just does not get the love it deserves. Guys like Campbell, like the lacrosse that this guy is playing at 40 years old is ridiculous. Ryan Tarafanko, it's insane that he's only eight games in his season. Like this game here, man, like... If, if Halifax loses, you know, they're not hitting the panic button. They'll be disappointed now that they're a game behind Buffalo, but this is a playoff game for, for Mm -hmm. Albany. So I I can't wait, wait to see it. This is going to be a great game and it kicks off a really solid schedule uh, for this week in the NL.
0: Halifax continues to be perfect at home during regulation. They've only lost once inside the nest since moving Mm -hmm. to Halifax. And that was that dramatic. Back and forth overtime game in Saskatchewan before COVID stopped us all. So that streak will look to continue in the TSN game of the week to start off week 15. Uh, The second game of the week in Panther City at Colorado. Panther City on a mini heater, uh, but a very anxious Colorado team fresh off a bye will be sitting in Denver just waiting for them. Will Colorado be too much for this young Panther City club or... Should we start taking them a little more seriously?
1: I think we have to take them more seriously. They've, they're on, like you said, a mini heater. And I think that's the perfect way to describe it because as much as Tracy Klosky and this coaching staff is probably building up this team and giving them so much faith and, and saying like, you know, we're not an expansion team. You know, we're not taking that. We're not taking moral victories. Uh, we believe that we're in the hunt. We're building for the future, but we're also building for right now. With that being said, he's also probably keeping them level-headed at the Mm -hmm. same time and saying, listen, whatever happened the last couple of games, that's happened. We're on to a new opponent. We need to focus on what we need to do to be successful. Let's really dial things in here, guys, and prove to everyone that when you play Panther City, you're in for a a dog fight or a cat fight, I guess you could say. (laughs) And I think Colorado knows that this is an opportunity for them to continue to stay near the top and not lose too much um, ground in that chase for first place. But talking to some of the guys on that team and Pat Coyle, they know that, yeah, they're, they're sitting pretty in the standing right now, but they don't believe that they've actually played a full 60 minutes of lacrosse. So I think this is going to be their opportunity where they say, this is maybe a get right spot for us as well.
0: Yeah, I think this is an opportunity for this Colorado team to really start to put the foot in the gas and start making, you know, that that concerted effort to be going into the playoffs on a high note and in a positive note and playing your best across. Let let's sort of reset the calendar. Let's make it, you know, let, let's make our record zero zero. Let let's just go win the next 10 games of our schedule and, and see where we stand. But I think this is an opportunity for them just to kind of get everything back in sync and and go on a bit of a run here because, you know, they're right there with San Diego, uh, for the top of the West, but both San Diego and Colorado, you know, are right there with Halifax and Buffalo for number one seed overall. So, uh, there is a lot of lacrosse left to be played, but this is an opportunity, like you said, a a get right ish game for Colorado. But, uh, as we've seen the last couple teams have gone to Panther city and either had slow starts, Um, bad finishes or just haven't been able to put it all together and found themselves on a losing end. So uh, it's not a cakewalk by any means. The final game of Friday, Saskatchewan at San Diego could be the last dance for the rush. Will Frank be able to hold another team to four goals or will we see a Saskatchewan team that put up 15 or 13, whatever they did against Panther city. Um, It will be a very, very interesting game between these two clubs who always play exciting lacrosse.
1: Yeah, you nailed it. I was just going to say every time these two teams meet, it is an exciting game. And I think regardless of where Saskatchewan is in the standings with the group that they have on paper, you know, that they have the, the, the horses to run with the San Diego team. Do I think they're going to put up a 16 spot like they did last week? No, but I think that the offense finally has their swagger back, their confidence back. They're starting to play like what we're expected to expect to have a big bounce back from the defense. Although I didn't even really think the defense played that bad. It was just, they had some, some leaky goaltending. And I think that now Eric Penny knows, okay, this isn't just my net. Um, you know, I have to play more like I, I did. And I'd be even interested to see if they go back to shoot, do they go with Penny? What do they do there? But this is a playoff game. This is a, a must win for Saskatchewan because you said it, um, if they lose, I don't think we're seeing a fire sale, but I definitely think there's going to be a few guys that, that won't be there come Wednesday morning.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I don't want to keep beating this horse, but you know, I, I think this team, if you moved a couple guys and brought in some guys that could still play, you still like, you're not going to lose a lot of your offensive guys. Like, Shatler and Lintner are, are your real only UFAs. And Shatler lives in Saskatchewan. He's probably not getting moved. Maybe Lintner, but he's maybe been their one true consistent, other than maybe Church and Matthews in that offense. You're probably not moving him. So, if you get some young D guys to come in, maybe you can still win a few games and make a season out of it. But,
1: yeah, you
0: know, Derek Keenan's a master at his craft, and we're never going to question the things that he does but part of me would just like to see him kind of try to get it the much as most that he can while he can, instead of just kind of letting this ship slowly sail off into the sunset. So uh, that's the last game for the rush, but I think, uh, or sorry, the last game of the weekend, but for San Diego, you know, Westberg is playing well, Audi's playing well, Greer's contributing. Noble got his 100th of his career. They need to find what's wrong with Dane Dobie, uh If this team is going to continue to be a contender though
1: definitely concerns with with Dane and especially what it would be different if he had just struggled the whole year and you said ah something's up he's not fitting in this offense or ah, he's banged, he's banged up and he hasn't been able to get healthy with how good he looked at the start of the year you know that whatever is plaguing him right now is really plaguing him so they got to find a way to get him healthy, whether it's just taking him out of the lineup completely and letting him rest. Like I think a win here against Saskatchewan certainly would have some more breathing room. You, you want that, that number one seed and you want home field advantage home floor advantage going forward. But at the same time, is it worth not allowing potentially your best player on the floor be your best player on the floor? Cause he's not going to be able to stay healthy. Yeah.
0: Uh, So those are your three games on Friday, Saturday, the games start nice and early for us out here in the West, Uh, New York at Rochester make or break for the Nighthawks, but New York is really starting to be a pain in the ass for some teams. This
1: game is it just has my brain in a pretzel. <laughs> everyone seems to think that this is an easy spot for a quote unquote upset by the books with the riptide to win. But that makes me think if everyone thinks the riptide are going to win, then maybe Rochester wins and they trade Evans. And obviously all of a sudden you think, Oh, well, they've punted on their season and it's, no, not necessarily. They just uh, saw an opportunity to, to get some assets for a player that maybe won't resign next year. Yeah. But as we talked to Ryan Smith and we were saying, now that's more opportunities for Smitty to get the ball on his stick and Curtis Knight. And maybe we see more from Thomas Hogarth. Um, Maybe the lefties touch the ball a little bit more. So yes, it stinks to lose a veteran, a heart and soul guy like Sean Evans a guy that like consistently puts the ball in the net or puts the ball in other guys sticks that ends up in the back of the net. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe this is an opportunity for some young guys to prove that they can be a number one ready, or they can be, you know, a key part on that power play. So I would probably lean with everyone else and think the riptide, but this is a perfect spot for, for Rochester to say, we're not done yet. And well, ho- here hopefully if Rochester,
0: Ry- Ryland Hartley is healthy. And can play yes because it would be a heck of a goaltending duel between hartley and orleman two young guys that mm-hmm. are really bright futures in the league. so uh let's hope hartley is healthy uh and let's hope that is as good a game as we all kind of expect it to be uh halifax at georgia it will be a tough travel day for the thunderbirds whether they go through toronto whether they connect through new york or philadelphia or however they get there it is going to be a long day but Teams have done that before. Teams have had early fights before connecting the doubleheaders. You just have to be able to mentally prepare, eat right, get ready, and do all the things to make sure that your your body's ready for that game. But as you mentioned earlier, this is an opportunity for Georgia to be sitting there licking their chops, waiting for a team They cannot afford a slow start. They got to put their foot on the throat right away and maybe a chance to steal a game and really boost themselves up the standings and a chance to catch some of those teams ahead of them.
1: Do you think Aaron Bold starts this game?
0: Uh, I would not doubt that they split. Unless unless like Warren just has a really easy night against Albany, which I doubt, and gets first class and is able to sleep that whole flight all the way down, like it, it would not surprise me if they split this weekend.
1: Yeah, especially after what we saw, what what Aaron Bold w- was going to be able to do, especially in that second half. So, you know, the trust is there. And talking with Micah Kersey, like he said, you know, uh, originally we didn't have Aaron Bold pegged to play that game in Vancouver, but we weren't going to start Warren Hill every single game this year. So that leads me to believe that he was probably going to start in one of these back-to-backs Yes. you you know also in a couple of weeks they've got a back-to-back against buffalo home and home if there is going to be a back-to-back where warren Hill's going to play they'll save him for that one
0: yeah yeah i agree
1: right yeah. so why not use an opportunity especially if you beat albany um why not like aaron bull just showed you that Maybe he's not MVP of the NLL finals back in 2016, Aaron Bold, but he just showed you he is a very capable national lacrosse league goalie. Your defense is so good, especially when they play this system to allow the shots that Boldy wants to see.
0: Yeah.
1: Why not? Right. Why not? And maybe if he starts out slow, okay, Warren short leash here, maybe you throw him in, but I would not, especially a guy coming off of COVID, I don't know if I'd be wanting to work him like a dog quite this, this quickly off of that. And also like, it's just, it's an opportunity to to prove to boldly to say like, listen, like, this is your spot here. Like when you did it last week, let's do it again.
0: Yeah. And you know, we obviously don't know the severity of, of how bad, Warren had the COVID, whether he was just, you know, a contact tracer, he was not showing symptoms or was showing mm-hmm. symptoms, but we've seen throughout this year, guys that have COVID that come back that next week tend to struggle, especially later on in the games. just whether it's their, just body hasn't caught back up yet or whether they still have lingering effects, whatever it may be to have a goalie, especially a goalie of Warren's size. That's a lot of weight. Not, I don't say this in the battle. It's a lot of weight for a man to play back-to-back games with all the travel, it could be a little much. So it would not, I completely agree with you. It would not surprise me at all if Aaron Bold starts that game Saturday down in Georgia. But for Georgia, they can't be thinking that. They just have to be planning for a Halifax team that is one of the best teams in the National Cross League. they have to play their game. They have to come out firing early. And Lyle's gonna have to have a game. And we mm-hmm. continually say this, as long as Lyle is having a good game, the swarm are gonna have a good game because you Nohalsey's know, Halsey's gonna get his points. Jacko's going to get his points. They need, Bomber's going to get his points, but they need Lyle Thompson to continually be the MVP each and every night out. And they need Pooley to make some saves. And I I truly believe if they can get out to a hot start and put Halifax on the back foot early, Georgia has a really, really good chance of winning that lacrosse game.
1: And so let's that, not forget the yeah. lacrosse. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, let's not forget the last time these two teams met, Halifax put a 15 spot on them and yeah. they chased Poulin. So Poulin's going to for sure have a chip on his shoulder. He, he know he's been watching a lot of film trying to figure out you know how he can have a bounce back game. And you talk about Lyle Thompson. He went off in that first half. But the defense, Billy D. Smith, with this defensive unit, did a really good job settling in. I thought Graham Hossick did a great job covering him. And they were allowing – they allowed him to – and and Hoss said it perfectly pregame when I was talking to him about it. He goes, he's going to get his. He's, mm-hmm. he's going to He's going to score, but we just need to contain him because we cannot stop him. I think he had two and three that game. I think any time that you hold Lyle Thompson to five points, it's insane to say, but that's a synth at the start of the game. Sign me off for that. Yeah. For sure. And I,
0: I think I want, I, it's, you make a great point. The adjustments that Mike Kersey and Billy D Smith have made this year throughout a game on the back end have been very impressive. You mentioned the Lyle game, um, but Kyle Killen this past weekend goes off for three in that first half and doesn't get a sniff pretty much the rest of the way because they made those in-game adjustments and and just you know took away guys time and room and took away their strengths and and that's what good teams do they will make those in-game adjustments and i don't think vancouver made them as well as halifax did so that's definitely something to watch as as all these games go along is that chess match between coaches and how they adjust Mm -hmm. and how they don't adjust um philadelphia at buffalo another key eastern conference game can the wings score more than eight goals against buffalo path
1: i don't want to spoil our lax locks and our boosted parlay but of course uh, yes of course not our lax locks
0: (laughs) those (laughs) are other guys in vancouver oh yeah
1: oh yeah right 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 yeah i don't want to i don't want to spoil that but uh, i seem to think that there's going to be a lot of goals in this one and Whether I'm right or wrong, I think that Philly has to go into this game having the mindset with this offense saying we can keep up with Buffalo because when you look at that team on paper, and yes, I know you've been on the record. The guys out West have been on the record. I've been on the record. Everyone has said they're missing that little water bug or the missing. They don't have that yet. Exactly. The guy that's buzzing around, you know, getting to the middle, setting hard picks. You know, there's just no energy. It's all perimeter players. Well, look at the locker room. Look at the guys that are standing there right now. Unless they make a deal next week, this is the group that is going to either get you through this rut and get into the postseason, or this is the group that's just going to continue to flog shots from the outside. Who's going to be that guy that's going to change their game and, and be that energy guy? So I think we're going to see a, a much different offense. I think they're going to be moving their feet a lot more. I think Ben McIntosh is a guy that might be that guy that's going to be more of an inside player because we know he can do it. And this team is going to have a chip on their shoulders because they have underperformed. The defense has been all right, the goaltending has been fine. It's been the offense that has certainly let down this unit. And there is a lot of guys on that team that have a lot of pride that know they can be better. So I think they're going to go in this game and say, you know what, Buffalo, we don't care. We're going to go out there. We're going to ball and we're going to, you know, try to score just as many goals as you guys can.
0: Since January 29th, eight, seven, eight, and eight goals for out of this offense before that 12, 18, 12, nine 14 12 so this is an offense early in the season that put up numbers but once they got film got out teams adjusted just like we were just talking about teams have made adjustments and not allow this offense to get into that rhythm maybe it's because teams are taking away their transition goals maybe because teams aren't taking penalties against them i don't know what it is but there something has to give maybe it's i don't know maybe they need to switch sticks maybe they need to play opposite hands do something (laughs) something needs to change for that offense and it needs to happen quick or a team that a lot of people were predicting i think i was one of them to go to the finals is going to have a long long road to hoe uh, down these final few weeks Uh, the final game of the weekend toronto at vancouver dan dawson if he plays which he's expected to will set the record for most career games played at 307 passing John Tavares. He's two assists away from the all time mark for career assists. He was a sixth rounder. John Tavares was a third rounder. We talk about Ryan Smith's career to the National Cross League and his ups and downs. Well, these were two guys that were taken deep in their respective drafts, and they are now the greatest to have ever played.
1: It's crazy. I mean, I know I've done a lot of promotion for other podcasts on here now, but uh, listen to the Back of the Bird episode with, with Dan Dawson. It is awesome to hear the stories about the start of his career, um, even in junior. Like this is a guy that really didn't expect much um, when it came comes to to playing the next level. And then now this is a guy that's still playing at 40. He's still contributing. And you and I both know, even when he does retire, it doesn't matter how many records he does finish with, because he's going to finish with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be a guy that's still putting his thumbprint on the game. And he has such a, a great impact on the game. He's such a great teacher, a, a great coach, a great mentor. Um, the game is a lot better because Dan Dawson's involved with it.
0: Um, When he's done, he will be, like, if this is his last year, let's just say, he will be first in games played, he'll be fourth in goals, first in assists, and second overall in points. Just an absolutely unbelievable career for a guy that was drafted in the sixth round to Columbus, was playing out the back door. and (laughs) It's insane, man. And now is arguably... The best right-hander to ever have played in the national lacrosse league in all of its iotas or forms inklings eagle pro box m-i-l-l-n-l-l dan dawson is the best right-hander to have ever played our game and it has been a treasure and a treat to watch him grow to play alongside him to play against him, to watch him to talk to him everything he does is pure class I cannot wait to see what he does once his career is done, whether it's in a front office or behind a bench or just being a fan of the game and coaching his kids. No matter what he does, he will be done with the most respect and, and 100% professionalism and it uh, just screams everything that Dan Dawson is about. I hope he plays like four more years and continues to solidify himself. But whenever his career is done, he will go down as the greatest right-hander to ever play our game.
1: Talking to uh, Matt Sawyer earlier on in the year, he he mentioned that he said, I think Doss can play another three, four years. <laughs> by the way, when you see him, make sure you tell him that don't say I said it, but say <laughs> what he says. so then Doss comes out of the room. We talked to him and just chatting before we, you know, start asking the serious question. I said, by the way, what do you think? What do you think he got? What three, four. And before I can even finish the sentence, he goes, what did Maddie tell you to say that? <laughs> So obviously the, the bug is in their ear. They're not ready for him to retire yeah. just yet. So the,
0: the the thing I love about Dan Dawson is like you can just when you talk to him, you can you can feel his passion, but you just yes. get a, a humor side of him, um, and a competitive side of him that comes out, and you talk to him about, you know, the, the pranks that he pulls on guys and just the jokes that he does around the locker room and the things that he does you know away from between the whistles uh it's just an incredible incredible conversation whenever you get to chat with Dan and uh, he's come a long way from those early years he was a shy guy a young guy but you know once he you know i he came out west and played with us in victoria in 04 and 05 and then maybe even 06 and was just the ultimate the ultimate team guy yeah, we use that word at Flash all the time, big team guy. And Dan Dawson is the epitome of that. So um, he's still got a lot to go. And yes, let's hope it is three or four more years down the road. Uh, we have got to try and win you some more buckos. We've been close the last few weeks. We're struggling a bit, on a bit of a slide. It's box bets time. Let's find you a winner. Time now for box bets. Your source for all the lines, odds, and props across the NLL. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. (laughs) Hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. All right, Pat, uh, we are now combining forces. Um, I had a bad week. You had a bad week. Now we're going to have a good week together.
1: Yeah, if we just combine our winners take away our losers. And that's going to be an automatic win for a parlay, right? That's, that's, that's how
0: easy it, that's is, right? how easy it works. Right. You just say, well, if that was the
1: case, we we would be undefeated <laughs> right now and we wouldn't be scrambling, changing our, our format and our ideas to, to win these parlays, but we're back to the drawing board. Like you said, so we both picked one game and then we kind of decided on, uh, on another. So we'll go through it again. When you're on coolbet.com, just go to the boosted odd parlays under the popular tab. Click that there. You'll see all our other boosted parlays that are available. Go down the bottom. You'll see the off the crossbar boosted odds parlay. And that is where you'll find our parlay, which is Mammoth to win, Riptide to win. So just on the money line, Mm -hmm. just need to win. Doesn't matter by how many. So Mammoth over Panther City. And then, of course, we need that other... Where's the last game here? Over. 22 and a half. Bandits and Wings. So, Riptide win. Mammoth win. Bandits, Wings, 22 and a half. The over on that one. We've got this one boosted all the way to plus 625.
2: That's a good one.
1: Yeah. And I know the Wings haven't scored more than, what, eight goals in how long? But this is where they're going to explode. And you know what? Even if they don't, the Bandits have so much firepower, they they might be able to hit it. The they can get it, <laughs> they get it on their own. They can
0: get it on their own. But, have,
1: no, I like this one. Bad. I like this one. I think Philly's due for a breakout. They're due for a breakout. We know Buffalo can score at well. So, um, Mammoth to win, Rip died to win, Bandits Wings over 22 and a half.
0: I think I think this is the one that gets us back in track and then we're going to go I, on a streak.
1: I think so too, man. I think so too. The books cool bet they've had our number. Mm-hmm. They're the ones laughing. But this is where we go on our heater. You talked about a little mini heater for Panthers let's go on a little mini one, heater here.
0: One, a mini heater? Love it. Mini heater here uh on box bets Uh, brought to you by cool canada also don't forget if you want to look your best head over to nllshop.com or fanatics.ca get your nll experience with any sort of team swag you want and uh, make sure you look your best for an upcoming national across the game heck even if you're going out with the girl for a night why not wear your favorite nll team it'll really get her excited i promise um anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here Anything else catch your mind this week?
1: Oh, man. I, I mean, everything. Oh, PLL announced their
0: next stops. Oh, yes. Yes. Coming out west. Yes, yes. yes. Coming out that to, was... they say Seattle, but they're going to Tacoma, which is just south of Seattle. But they're going to Frisco. They're going to, uh, what do they announce here? Uh, Fairfield, Connecticut, Dallas, Denver, Salt Lake City, Seattle. And then for the quarterfinals, go to Boston semifinals and Washington championship in Philly. So uh, they are all over. I'm a little surprised they didn't go to Southern California. Um, Like that's where the PLL's head office is, is it not?
1: That was a bit surprising. I mean, I guess you can't really – I don't know. I I can't – you can't really – nitpick too much because they do have to go to different places that maybe they haven't gone one to either a grow the game or you know reward your your fans that you have like you know, Fairfield, Connecticut, like that's an interesting one to me, but obviously Connecticut hotbed. The one that really jumps out to me was Frisco, Texas mm-hmm. um, at the uh, the Ford center, or I think they call it the star, the, star. The, uh, the practice facility down for the Cowboys. That mm-hmm. one's an interesting one for me. Denver's really cool. Like they're going to play at uh, Peter Barton stadium yeah. um, oh. where the Pios play. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what, 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 who would you take away for that? Like, all those places that they've gone are, are really cool.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I like that they're going to Minneapolis, um, in week mm-hmm. five, the all Star games in Boston, you know, I, I might take Charlotte out and go out West. Um, sure. Yeah. Seattle, you know, they did the whole bubble in Salt Lake city. So, you know, I could maybe use a time off from that, um, and, and go out West. Um, so, you know, i we're nitpicking here because, you know, of the PLO, they're traveling, they, they do a lot of things really, really well. And, um, I just, I just thought, you know, with, with everything moving towards the Olympics in 2028 with Joe size connection with the, uh, like I said, I believe the head offices are out sort of in the LA area. Um, it just kind of, I just thought it would be a no brainer for them to be out there and just kind of continue to build up the momentum for LA 2028. The Rables obviously know what they're doing. They just named Erica Ardini to their advisory board. Uh, she's the CEO of Barstool, say what you will about Barstool, but Erica Nardini um, is a champion uh, in, in the industry. Um, so that's a huge coup for them. So they continue to move positively forward and do their things. Um, they still don't like to recognize uh, the NLL and, and the world of box cross when it comes to their records, but hey, whatever. Um, and how they state things we are two completely different leagues but we are one sport um but yeah i I, overall i i I thought the rollout was good yeah whatever they're going where they're going where they think they are are wanted and i love the fact that they're coming to the pacific northwest i might actually be able to go catch some games so
1: That, Um, that that is awesome that is awesome that's her and of course like we said like we would love for them to come to Canada, but they just said with the uncertainty with the border, that's why it wasn't going to happen this year. So maybe we see in the next year, but you said, is there anything else that we wanted to talk about before we go? couple things. One, um, Peterborough Lakers had their press conference today, which is on Wednesday night. It was Wednesday morning. They had it. Um, they're back. They opted out of that MSL Classic season, but they're ready to go full swing, uh, full season MSL. uh, They're ready to go. They've also, MSL announced that March 20th is going to be their entry draft at the track. And not to trigger any Brampton fans, but (laughs) the logo on the graphic that they announced was Owen Sound Lacrosse. So the drama continues here in Ontario, Teddy, as uh, the Excels verse Bug Juice is not even close to being done yet.
0: Uh, and all just uh, putting out their players of the week. Frank Shiliano, 50 save, four goals against, and a win. Uh, rookie of the week, hey, look at that, Smitty, friend of the brand. Four goals, five assists, nine points uh, for the rookie out of Bobby Moe. And um, congrats to them um yeah i I think that's kind of it there's not like we we could be talking about so many other things everyone's just kind of waiting on pins and needles for things to drop but things just aren't dropping as they say so uh we will get you out of here and get you set for week 15 in the national lacrosse thanks to ryan smith thanks to pat Gregoire. you can find him on twitter at pgreggy. the show is at otcb underscore podcast my name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Teddy Jenner. Check us out on Instagram. We, we post clips of the show at OTCB Podcast. Until we speak again, stay safe, enjoy the games, and be excellent to each other. I am an
1: apple.